Touching heaven, changing earth. How are we going to do that? How does it begin? All right. I'm glad the answer was on the board. I'm glad somebody got it. Prayer, part three. I don't know how long it's going to last. I don't know how long we're going to keep talking about prayer. You know, many, many years ago, I think it was Pastor Gary Trail, I'm not certain, at Holy Cross, gave a little illustration about a young pastor went to a new church in his first, first Sunday there. First Sunday there, he talked about pride. I mean, he really preached a powerful message about pride. Second week, preached the same message about pride. Man, he really laid it on him. Third week came. He starts speaking about pride. Same thing. And her, you know, scratch her head. Well, he just let him have it. Message was over. Somebody went up to him and said, Pastor, I mean, we're, we're a little concerned here. You've preached the same message for three weeks. He says, well, when you get it, I'll move on to the next one. <laughs> when you get it. How long are we going to be talking about prayer? I don't know. Till we get it. Amen? Amen? Till we get it. Because prayer is so important. If my people will pray, that speaks of the importance of it right there. God says, if my people will pray and seek my face. We're going to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 12 through 22. And I know that part of this is very familiar with a lot of people, but it's a great passage of Scripture. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Now my eyes will be opened and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may, my name may be there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. And if you, as for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked and do according to all that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and judgments... Then I will establish the throne of your kingdom as I covenanted with David your father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man as ruler in Israel. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot them from my land, which I have given them, and this house, which I have sanctified for my name, I will cast out of my sight." and will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And as for this house which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and this house? Then they will answer, Because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, and embraced other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, He has brought all this calamity on them. May God add His blessings and His hearing to the reading of His Holy Word. And let us pray. Heavenly Father, I do praise You and magnify You. I thank You, Father, 
for Your Word. I thank for this Word of instruction that You have given us, Your people. Father, those who are called by Your name, that You instruct us on how we should live and how we should seek You. And Father, we thank You for Your Holy Spirit. And may Your Spirit be present in this place today. Father, as the cloud would come down on the tabernacle, may Your cloud, Lord God, be present here today. Father, may our hearts receive what You have for us. May Your truth be spoken and may Your name be lifted high. In Jesus' name, Amen. So as we continue our discussion on prayer, this topic, you know, there are so many things that must be considered to gain a firm understanding of prayer. To understand the importance of prayer. The proper attitude that we, as His people, need to have when we go into prayer. There's a question that we can ask. Are there things that will prevent God from hearing our prayers? Are there things as in actions or things in our character that will prevent God from hearing our prayer? I believe we know the answer is yes. But on the other side of that, are there things that we can do to ensure that God hears our prayers? And again, the answer is yes. You know, there was a lot of communication going on between God and King Solomon. Not just in this passage that I read. I know it was a little bit long, but chapter 6, chapter 7 and on, there was a lot of communication going on between God and Solomon. And there's a lot of useful instruction that we can glean from that instructions that God gave Solomon. Instructions that can help us as individuals, can help us as a church as a whole, can help us as a nation. Instructions that will ensure that God will hear our prayers. Wouldn't you like to have great confidence that when you pray, that God is hearing your prayers? I got one amen. Wouldn't you like to have the confidence that God hears your prayers? Raise your hand if yes. Alright, amen. At least somebody. Alright, good. Of course you would. Of course you want God to hear your prayers. Second Chronicles contains a lot of history concerning the relationship between God and the nation of Israel, between God and the kings of Israel. Solomon so blessed to be the king chosen to build the temple. We know that his father David longed to build the temple for God. He longed to build it, but God would not allow it because he was a man of war. He had shed much blood. But he promised that his son would be the one who would build the temple for him, and it would be Solomon. David was blessed to be able to gather a lot of the material for the building of the temple. So he had a little bit of a hand in it, but Solomon was blessed to be able to do it. You remember the tabernacle when they wandered in the wilderness. That portable temple, if you will, that God gave them the instruction, gave Moses the instruction for it. It had the curtains and the poles. And it was very, I'm sure it was very beautiful because of the description and it was amazing. But they would erect the tabernacle and they would worship. God would come down and commune with them. And then He'd say, it's time to move. So He would lead them by the fire at night or cloud by day into the next spot. Put the temple back up. But there was no permanent dwelling place for God because they was wandering around. Really, when one thinks about this, when think about the temple, tabernacle, whatever, think about the temple. Could man really 
build a place to contain God? For God to dwell? Truly, I believe that the temple was not meant to be a place to contain God, but it was meant to be the designated place where God would meet with man. Amen? Here's where I'm going to meet you here at this designated place, this place that I have blessed, that I have sanctified and made holy. David was a man after God's own heart. Man after God's own heart. Solomon, he was faithful. We know that in the end, there was times he became unfaithful. But he was faithful. God said, ask what you will and I will give it to you. He could have asked for the great wealth and riches, but he said, Father, give me wisdom and understanding that I may lead these people of yours. And God gave him. He was a, the wisest man ever. Wisest man, I believe, ever to live. And God gave him the other also. But he sought God first and the wisdom to lead the people. And God gave him the wisdom to build the temple and gave him a lot of gifted men to be able to do it. Stone masons and artisans and you name it. God provided not only the supplies, the material, but the people would be able to build that temple. There's another amazing thing about Solomon. He gathered the people of Israel together. Once they completed the temple, it took many years, but they completed the temple, and he called all of Israel together. What do you think was the first thing he did? Amen. He prayed. He prayed. He prayed a prayer of consecration upon the temple. In 2 Chronicles 6, 12 and 14, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. For Solomon had made a bronze platform, five cubits long, five cubits wide, three cubits high, and he set it in the midst of the court, and he stood on it and knelt down on his knees before all of the assembly of Israel. And he spread out his hands toward heaven and said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven or on earth like you, who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants, who walk before you with all of their hearts. And the prayer went on. There was more. There's much more to the prayer. But here is the king of Israel before all of the assembly of the people of Israel. And what did he do? He got on his knees and prayed to God. My friends, when's the last time you witnessed the President of the United States calling the people together and himself getting on his knees and praying to God? Well, I don't know that I have ever seen in my lifetime. I haven't. Oh, that our leaders would. I could go on and on about kings and leaders and nations and all that, but I'm not here to be critical of our leaders. My goal here is, what can we, as a people of God, learn from our passage today? What can we glean from this? What can we, the church, learn from this? We can learn a great doctrinal truth. That the God of Israel, our God, the same God we serve, is a being of incomparable perfection. That there is none like Him in heaven or on earth. There is no God like our God. 
that He is infinitely above all and over all. We learn that He is the blessed God forever. He is eternal. We learn that He will be true to every word that He speaks. He says, I will keep covenant with them. I will keep covenant and mercy with those who walk before Me. He's he's promising, you walk before Me. I will honor what I tell you I will do. When we enter into marriage, what are we doing? We're entering into a covenant agreement with one another to be faithful to one another. God's saying, it's the same thing. Enter into that union with me. Be faithful to me and I promise you, I will be faithful. But those who walk before me, with all of their hearts, that means to walk with all of one's will and one's heart and soul in line with His will. That's what that means, friends. Being faithful to Him. For He desires to dwell with men. He desires to come and dwell with men. To commune with men. Yes, Solomon was consecrating the temple. The place where God would meet His people. But yet it was much more than that. God was instructing the people on how they were to be consecrated before Him. How they could maintain that right relationship with Him that right relationship that He desires to have with each of us. To consecrate means to make or declare something sacred. To be dedicated for a divine purpose. I believe He's not only consecrating the building, the temple, but I believe He's consecrating the people. My friends, the church is not this. It's not these walls and drywall and siding and two fours or sixes, whatever's behind there. But it's the people. It's the people. We are to be consecrated before God. You know, there's an act that we do as Baptists. We dedicate our children to God, don't we? When they're infants, we dedicate them. We don't typically baptize. We dedicate. We reserve baptism for when they reach an age where they can make a conscious decision of themselves that they want to follow after God. That they want to give their hearts to Him. But we dedicate them. And as parents, we are committing that we will pray with them. That we will read God's Word to them. We will bring them to church. We commit to set a godly example for our children to follow. It takes a lot of dedication, doesn't it? And it has eternal and divine implications, doesn't it? It teaches our young people that God desires to commune with them, to have that relationship. That we, His church, are the dwelling place of His Holy Spirit. It's having a relationship with the Father. Remember Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well? He said to her, The hour is coming and now is. When the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship Him. To worship Him in spirit and truth. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. We remember the woman's response to Him. You Jews say that in Israel is where you're supposed to worship. At the temple, right? I mean, they built the temple. That's where God was going to meet with them. It was the designated place. You know... A lot of people will get bored with First and Second Chronicles. I did get bored with First Chronicles. Second Chronicles, I think, I found better. 
but it's showing the relationship between God and the kings. And you'll have one king that was faithful, his son will be unfaithful. His son then would be faithful. Then his son would be unfaithful. It's just kind of like this up and down, up and down. And the ones that were most faithful, I'm kind of getting myself off track here. I have to remember my place. The ones that were most faithful were not only the ones that would remove the Asherah poles and the Baals and all the idols, but the ones that would remove the high places. And you say, what are the high places? Well, the high places is where they would go and sacrifice to God, but it wasn't at the temple. It was places that they set up in their communities where they would go and offer their sacrifices and worship God. But God wanted them to come to the temple. But they didn't want to be inconvenienced to go to the temple. So the kings that were most faithful said, you're going to have to sacrifice a little because we're going to remove the high places, we're going to remove the bales, we're going to remove all these false idols, you're going to come and worship God. Sacrifice a little. Amen? It's not supposed to be easy. But that was the faithful ones that removed all that, even the high places. God called them very faithful. Amen? In Acts 7, 44-49, this is speaking that we are the temple. Not the building made with hands, but friends, we are the temple of God. It says, Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as He appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, who God drove out before the face of our fathers until the day of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, however, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? What house will we build for God? In us. us. My friends, yes. That's the house we'll build for God. A broken and contrite heart is the house that we need to build for God. Also to go along with this is Ephesians 2. Verses 19 through 22. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fit together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. He's talking about the church. You, you, friends, are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. In our scripture lesson in chapter 7 of 2 Chronicles, God gave the Israelites a word of caution, a word of warning. He said, I will, or not if, He says, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain, when I command the locusts, Karen had to mention them locusts, didn't she? Remember, they're a good source of protein. When I command the locusts to devour the land, or I send pestilence among my people, what's up with this? I mean, does God delight in sending these things? No, He doesn't. But He wants us to be aware of what can happen, right? 
It goes along with what we're talking about in Sabbath school last week. It's about discipline. It's about correction for misbehavior, if you will, right? What parent is not going to correct or ground their child when they don't obey the rules set in the household? Well, I'll tell you which parent. The irresponsible parent. The one that lays down the rules and says, you're going to be grounded, you're going to do this, if you don't obey the rules, and then, well, I didn't. So you know that kid's going to push that parent as far as they can push him. My friends, God is not our irresponsible parent. God is responsible. He's a loving and responsible Father. He will discipline His children. And that's what that warning is about. He's telling the children of Israel, if you turn from Me and follow after the foreign gods of the neighbors, if you turn from following My statutes and commandments, that I will send these punishments against you. Why? Because, my friends, God describes Himself as a jealous God. In Exodus 34, 14, says, For you shall worship... I'm not sure if I sent that one. You shall worship no other God. For the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. What's the name of your God? Jealous. Jealous. He is. My friends, God breathed the breath of life into Adam. He formed him of the dust of the earth and He breathed His breath into him, His Spirit. And every single person that has lived from Adam to now is blessed with that same breath. The breath that comes from the breath of God. And He jealously yearns and desires for us to have the relationship with the One that's given us breath. There's nothing wrong with that. He has that right. He has that authority. James 4.5 says, or do, do you not think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? That Spirit that dwells in us yearns jealously. God desires us to be faithful. He wants to come with us, dwell with us. You know, there are times when we refer to the time period that we're living in as the dispensation of grace. My friends, God has always been gracious. Does not our Scripture in 2 Chronicles reveal God's grace? God tells them, if you mess up, if you do go off and follow these other gods, if they turn back to Him, if they will humble themselves and pray, He says, if you humble yourselves and pray and seek My face, if you turn from your wicked ways, what is that? That's repentance. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. There's the assurance that God will hear our prayers. I said, do you want the confidence that God will hear your prayers? Humble yourselves before God. Repent before God and He will hear our prayers. It's a prayer of confession, to confess our sins to God. Solomon prayed in 2 Chronicles 6, 24 and 25, or if your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, and return and confess your name and pray and make supplication before you in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive their sins or forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you gave them and their fathers. So that's 
Solomon praying to God, praying a prayer of confession. If your people confess, hear their prayers, Lord. James tells us to confess our prayers. James 5, 13 and 16, through 16. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You know, our passage had a lot of ifs in it. To simplify it, God said, if you turn from me, expect that there will be corrective disciplinary actions against you. But if you are faithful to follow my ways, these will be your blessings. God wanted them just to be true to Him. He wanted them to continue to come to Him, to come to that temple and worship Him, sacrifice to Him. He wanted them to do it day after day, month after month, year after year. That was the desire of His heart. But He said, but if you turn, your, turn away and forsake My statutes and My commandments, which I have set before you and go and worship other gods, He says, then I will uproot them from My land which I have given to them. And this house, which I have sanctified for my name, I will cast out, out of my sight, and it will be a proverb and a byword among all the peoples. My friends, the same is true today. Jesus said no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells a parable about what the kingdom of God is like. And he uses the illustration of a man sowing good seed. He went out and he paid his workers and he sowed good seed in the field. But someone come out at midnight and sowed tares among the good seed. Jesus says, let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them into bundles and burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Friends, God was telling Solomon, listen, if they're unfaithful, I'll just let this building be uprooted. If they're unfaithful, I'll uproot it. If they're unfaithful to me and turn from following my ways. My friends, the same things with the wheat and the tear. The tares are the unfaithful. They'll be uprooted and cast into the fire. The history lesson is found in 2 Chronicles. Again, I say is. So amazing. I did pick out one good example of a king that was faithful. His father wasn't, but he was. Jehoshaphat was a very faithful king. His father was very wicked. And thankfully, he didn't follow in his father's footsteps. Maybe he looked to his grandfather. In 2 Chronicles 2, verses 1 through 4, and then verses 21 through 24. And it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. Okay? He set himself to pray. Set himself to seek the Lord 
and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Moving to verse 21. And when he had consulted with the people, he had appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of, beauty of holiness. And as they went before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord for His mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. My friends, you see the benefits of a humble heart before God? Jehoshaphat called on the people to fast and to pray. Seek the Lord our God. He knew that his army was nothing compared to those that have come against him. These three great armies have come down against him. Seek the Lord. They fasted and they prayed. And I find it absolutely amazing that they're on their way out. The Lord said to them, Go out against them. I've delivered them into your hands. I've delivered this great army into your hands. But on the way out, He appoints people to sing and praise to God. And as soon as they began to praise God, those armies turned on themselves. They didn't have to lift a finger. Israel didn't have to lift a finger against that great army that came against them. God, can you imagine that? I mean, that, to me, I just when I read that, it's so amazing. You know, we fret and fear and worry. Our God is a great and awesome God. He can cause Moab and Ammon to turn and destroy Mount Seir, and then they turn on one another until they're all destroyed. And Israel just stands there. They were probably amazed. I mean, we'd probably be amazed. God, that's awesome. Uh, you know, how amazing you are. God amaze us. But it begins when we humble ourselves. That's the key word to describe what we have to do to have that right relationship with Him. To have that communion that He desires with us. Humble. If my people will humble themselves and seek my face. My friends, that is the first thing we have to do. Is humble ourselves. Humble that pride. Humble that whatever, that lust, whatever we're dealing with. It's bringing one's pride down. It's bringing our lustfulness down. But whatever. Whatever is against God, we need to get rid of it. My friends, once we've done this, I can assure you, His Word promises us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My God does not break any of His promises. He is faithful and true. We must pray. We must pray that prayer of confession and we must pray that prayer of consecration that we consecrate ourselves to God. He doesn't dwell in that temple anymore. He dwells right here. And He's not going to dwell in a temple that's walking in sin. Practicing sin. So we must humble ourselves and repent. He said, My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer made in this place. Then He was speaking to the temple. 
But now, there's a new place of dwelling, right? Right here. His eyes will be open and his ears will be tentative to the prayer made in this place. The prayer made in this humble heart if we humble ourselves before God. He will hear our prayers. He will answer our prayers. If they're in line with His will. Not our will, not my will, but His will. May we be faithful to seek Him. Let it begin here. Let it begin in the church. We get it right here, then maybe it'll spread to the, the nation and the leaders, right? Let us humble ourselves and then we'll set the example for the leaders to follow. Amen? Amen.